of some kind and we had five people from Westlake here or, or in its environs and around Austin that, that were on that delegation to go to Chicago and so uh, then Alan asked me he said Emmett said why don't uh, why don't you go you uh, uh, I'd like for you to be a delegate and then I told him I said Governor you remember about two weeks ago or it might have been last week uh, that the Republicans held a convention in Columbus Ohio and and that there it was a fellow named Eisenhower was nominated over Taft to be their delegate. I mean, be their nominee for the president of the United States. I said, I'm gonna vote for him, and I don't want to go to, to to Chicago, and I don't care whether they put Stevenson or anybody else in as a nominee for the Democratic Party. I'm going to vote for for General Eisenhower for president. And Allen kind of grinned, and there it was at, at that early stage. Well, he said, now I might be in the same shape before this this thing's over, but I'm not going to advertise it yet. But I was invited by the governor to be a delegate, and I wouldn't go because I had already made my mind up to be a uh, to vote for Eisenhower. Now, right in here, I want to put this in. Herman Heap, of course, was down there at the convention, and he was a delegate, and he was a ramrod. He put up all the money we used to get Allen's group in there, and he was a real fine, uh, close uh, close man with Allen Shivers. And Herman had gone to Chicago, I mean to Columbus, at this Republican convention. I hadn't thought about it, but he told me about it. He said his president of the American Jersey Club at that time, they had their headquarters in Columbus, Ohio. And, of course, he had got acquainted with the Taft boys. They was in ranch and Venice and such as that. And he was a strong advocate for Taft to be the Republican nominee. And Herman had actually gotten on the floor of the convention, the Republican convention, and was for Taft when Eisenhower got nominated. Now, that's how strongly conservative Herman was. But no one knew where Herman was. We thought we was, he was all, everybody here thought he was up there with reference to Venice and the Jersey Cattle Club. But he was up there trying to get Taft nominated. So he found out how I felt. Of course, I knew he wasn't going to vote for the Democratic nominee and that he was going to vote for Eisenhower unless they, they put MacArthur on or somebody like that for the Democrats, which was impossible. And that was just at the beginning of the time when the Tidelands issue was beginning to raise its head. And, of course, Allen fanned that as strong as he could so he could use that as an excuse to knock back Stevenson when the time came. But anyway, here's what happened. Uh, that's the delegation that was to go to Chicago. And the time came, I guess it was a month or so off. It couldn't have been too far off, but Herman couldn't stand it. He, he was just, he was just winning too much. He'd been in politics since God knows how long, 10, 12 years with me and furnishing money. We never won anything, never got to eat at the front table and first table, and there we were. We were winning. And uh, he had invited the governor to fly to Chicago with him in his plane. And uh, I didn't know about that either because I knew I wasn't going to go. So about uh, oh, a week before the convention in Chicago, Weldon Hart called me and said, Emmett said that the governor has uh, got wind that Herman's out at his place and, and he's drunk. And he's, uh, we're supposed to go up there with him and his plane and the governor's not going to go to Chicago with Herman drunk and be embarrassed up there. He said, now, if, if you can go out there and sober him up, well, do so. But you tell him that Allen says that he's not going to go with him and not going to embarrass him unless he's able to behave himself and, and, get, and, get, uh, and get sober. So uh, I said, well, I'll try it. And he figured I knew Herman better than anybody, so... I called old Jim Ferguson, who was then the game warden, down around Lockhart. Jim and I had been very close personal friends of Herman for all these years. 
Jim would go with him on his hunting trips and stay at his place and just, just he's closer than most of my brothers to me. I said, now you, you spent a lot of money to get to the position to go to Chicago or be a big wig and, and now you're throwing it all away on account of a bottle. Well, he's kind of swelled up like he was going to going to tell the governor to go to hell, but he didn't quite say that. And he, uh, he, on the second thought, he said, well, you go tell that and I'll be ready. And he was ready to go to Chicago the next week, and he did go and, and took the governor in his airplane with him. I want to go back and tell the one incident that happened when I was chairman uh, in the county convention. Uh, Herman Jones, at that time, was considered quite a little liberal, and uh, he, that's before he was judge, and, and uh, he leaned toward the, the, that side. But he uh, leaned toward the liberal side, but he was in politics, and he didn't want to walk a Democratic convention. And so uh, uh, he wanted to make a speech, and so I recognized him. And, of course, Herman had not been in the service during the war, and uh, it so happened that Emmett Jr., as in 52, had just gotten back from Korea uh, as a Marine in that fight and had gotten a lot of publicity out of it, and he was a delegate to the to the county convention. He'd been chairman, I think, of this precinct out here, and so he was uh, leaning up against our banner there, standing up near our banner. So Herman made a, a rip-roaring speech about democracy and this, that, and the other, and, and uh, when he got through, old Hardy Hollis was just a raring to answer him because Hardy was ultra-conservative, and I think... He had already run against Lennon for Congress at that time, but Hardy had been a member of this Durenberger trial as a lawyer, and he was just he was just, uh, just dying to make an answer. So uh, I just uh, headed them all off. I didn't want to get the, let the convention get away from him and having a hassle over what Herman had said, and it was just water on for ducks back in here. Nobody's listening to Herman. So I just asked Emmett Jr., I said, Emmett, did you ever hear any, did you, when you went on the way back from the Yalu River, with the Marine, did you have any fine patriotic citizen like Herman making speeches to you about patriotism? Well, of course, I'd answered everything that Herman had had to say. I want to think of another instance that happened when I came back from the governor's uh, room at the St. Anthony Hotel to my committee to make the final list of delegates to Chicago. And I, as I said, I'd had a couple of drinks over there and with the with the delegate with the people who's in the governor's uh, room. And so when I got back into our little hall uh, room to, with my committee, well. Uh, I proceeded to tell him what Alan had said. He just said, here are the people we're going to take. Now y'all will either uh, t- take it or lump it. And, and uh, that, well, all of them was on that side. There was, there was all uh, with what way the governor wanted to go. And I noticed three men over in, in the corner that didn't uh, that didn't participate in our meeting. I said, what are y'all doing in here? Well, they said, we're newspaper reporters. Well, I said, hell, y'all not supposed to listen to what this was an executive session. Now, don't y'all go printing anything. And I said, the governor said, because it's all a damn lie. Well, they laughed about it, and they were nice enough not to print it. I think the reason they didn't print it is because I was talking so damn fast they couldn't understand what I said. Then, while the Democrats were holding their convention in Chicago, I uh, become the the chairman for the Democrats for Eisenhower in this senatorial district. Mrs. Alden Davis was the woman's component, and then, of course, Mrs. Davenport, she was a Republican to start with, and that was getting well organized, the Democrats for Eisenhower in, in Texas. Of course, it's a history now that, that Texas went for Eisenhower and our senatorial district went for Eisenhower. It's a, <clears throat> the first time the Republicans had carried this district or Austin or Travis County since the Civil War. But anyway, the, the same number, the same delegates that went to the governor's convention, I mean to the, uh, the convention in San Antonio, were the same delegates to go to the Amarillo to the uh, governor's convention that fall or later on in the summer. And so uh, when Allen came back, of course, Stevenson had been nominated, and he would avowedly uh, said he was not going to be for the states getting the tide lands, and that meant a whole lot to Texas. And 
Allen was trying to find a good excuse to jump off of Stevenson, be for Eisenhower, and I was getting a little impatient. He told me more or less that he was going to be that way down in San Antonio. So we wrestled around and then went up to the governor's convention. Of course, the fact that I was a, for Eisenhower had nothing to do with me still being a, a Democrat, and so I got to got to go up there. And we went up. Jay, Jay Patterson went with me, and, and we went with Herman on, in his airplane. I don't know who else went with him, but the governor didn't drive up in the airplane. He got up there some other way. But we got up to this convention in, in uh, Amarillo. And, of course, it was a, a big national issue then as to how Texas was going to go in the national uh, race and whether Eisenhower was going to get Governor Shiver's support or, or wasn't going to get it. And Harold Martin, an old Marine buddy of mine, was in boot camp with me in Quantico, was then one of the editors of the Saturday Evening Post. And Harold was sent down to, to by the Post to Amarillo to cover this convention. And of course, I run into him there, and being in a pretty good position to let him know what the real news was, I invited Harold in on one or two of the secret caucuses we had in which the governor participated. And so I introduced the Harold to Governor Shivers, and I told him this, uh, Harold, that, uh, who Harold was. And he told Harold, he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do, but now you're not supposed to release this until I tell you to, which, which they had a right to do then. And so the governor told Harold, what his, what his plans were, and, and Harold was nice enough to be a good reporter, and he didn't report it until the governor said uh, gave him the right to go. But we got up to that convention, and the issue up there was uh, just that we would not uh, endorse anybody. The governor didn't want the, the convention to come out and endorse Eisenhower. They just said, don't endorse anybody. And so that was the word, and that's what happened at the, at the convention at Amarillo. We just didn't endorse anybody. I think I should tell here some of the uh, instance that happened in the Eisenhower campaign of 52. I remember one instance where Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Davenport uh, she decided she wanted to take a caravan of trucks and people around to Williamson County and down to Bastrop County and, and election and do some electioneering for <coughs> Eisenhower. So uh, she was the Republican component of course of, of uh, and she'd been contributing pretty strongly to the Democrats too because oh, uh, Curtis Spiller was the sort of the finance man for the Republican Party, and every time that he'd need a little money, he'd go get Ms. Davenport to let him have $500, and the way we'd work it, well, she had lots of money. She'd making about $40,000 $40, a month, she told me at the time, and said, so old Curtis would tell me, he said, Amy, you go and get her to give you $500 for the Democrats, and since she's a Republican, she can't turn me down when I go ask her for $500 for the Republicans. So we would uh, uh, let her enjoy herself by contributing to the, each of the campaigns whenever we needed the money, and we needed plenty of it. But anyway, on this trip, to, uh, we're going to take the go over to uh, Round Rock and then go to Taylor and go to Elgin, and then I'll come on back to Austin that day. And, of course, we had the finest escort of highway patrolmen you ever saw uh, to lead us. And Mrs. Downport got this old cattle truck. It was a flatbed truck, and, and they had hay all over the bottom of it because it still had a lot of manure. It was a uh, six inches thick, it looked like, you know, but she dressed up like a gotcho, and she had her some kind of a cowboy band on it, and... And uh, so they went on the truck, and of course she had her big automobile go along with her with a chauffeur for, so she could get out and get in that once in a while between towns. But we had, I guess, 30, 40 automobiles. And I was one of them, and I know Neil Douglas went along, and Mrs. Uh, uh, Mrs. George Nall went along. And uh, we got over to, to Taylor for lunch. And it was just before lunch, and we were going to have a speech there, but we decided uh, that we'd uh, wait until after lunch to have the speech. Ms. Downport was going to make a talk for the, for the president, uh, uh, presidential candidate, Mr. Eisenhower, General Eisenhower. Well, she had made arrangements for us to eat lunch at the country club, of all things now, to go on a political party and then go out to the country club to have lunch and let the poor people uh, stay at home. But anyway, we went out to the country club and had a drink or two, and, 
And O'Neill Douglas was always one for a lot of fun. He's taking pictures of this thing for the newspaper, and he knew Miss Downport pretty well, and he coaxed her into drinking one or two more than she ought to had at the country club. So we got back over to town about 1.30, and we pulled up in one of the main streets there, and Mrs. Uh, Downport gets on this uh, cattle truck with her band and makes a little music and gets a crowd down there, and then she proceeds to make a speech. And uh, old Neil was standing down in front of her and said, pour it on, pour it on. Of course, she just waxed uh, eloquent. And she finally got so eloquent, she decided that she would announce that Mrs. Ferguson was going to be for General Eisenhower. Well, up until that time, Mrs. Ferguson had kept her nose out of this situation. She was through with politics, but there was Ann Bird and all right there listening with us, and she had been trying to get her uh, her grandmother-in-law to come out for Eisenhower, but Mrs. Ferguson just wasn't going to do it. But anyway, well, Mrs. Davenport made the announcement for her. And boy, Ann Bird hit the scene. And she said, well, if Miss Ferguson hears about this, she's going to come out on the other side because she's trying to stay out of this thing. So she told O'Neill to be sure and not put in that newspaper about it, which he didn't do. And he helped us that much after he'd stirred Miss Davenport up. But anyway, we went on to Elgin. And by the time we got to Elgin, I'd had enough of that caravan because it turned out to be a, a, a medicine show rather than that. So I come on to Austin and, and uh, I'd gotten in here, and about 5 o'clock, here comes Mrs. Davenport in in her truck. Everybody, the, the parade had dissipated somehow or another. So Mrs. Davenport had another hour or two of daylight, so she decided to go up and down Congress Avenue, just like she was uh, uh, holding a medicine show, like I said. And she'd stop on, on each intersection, although she didn't have a parade permit, and make a speech. And that went on to dark, and then she, uh, the next day, she uh, still had politics in her, in her band. So she didn't dismiss her band at all for... Uh, two or three days, and she just campaigned around. She liked that a whole lot. She changed her gotcha uniform once in a while, but the parade went on until she wore out. And uh, whether she got votes or not, I don't know, but she paid for them. And I remember we had, during the campaign, we had one big rally when the governor, Shivers, was going to come out and announce his stand for the, for, uh, against Adelaide Stevenson for, for the very reason that he just was, he couldn't uh, go for the Tidelands, and the governor couldn't support a man that was, was going to take Texas money and school children money away from him. So we're going to have this, uh, this uh, down at the, not the auditorium, we didn't have the auditorium then, it was Old Coliseum in, in Austin here. And I was going to be the one that's the chairman of the ceremonies. And, uh, and and then the governor was going to be there, and Ms. Davenport was going to be there. And it was just a general rally, and we are just going to have a big pep rally. And when it come time for the governor to speak, then we were going on statewide uh, radio. And so uh, uh, Mr. Carl Harden was going to introduce the governor. But... Uh, we were sitting up there, and about 10 minutes before the meeting was supposed to start, well, uh, we saw Miss Davenport coming in. Of course, she was always dressed where you could see her pretty well, and uh, I guess she is a long ways off, but it might have been our imagination. But Alan says to me, he's sitting next to him, he said, Emmett, she's, she's drunk. I said, she's got to say something. But I said, you, I'm going to depend on you not letting her mess this meeting up. I said, now you get her up there and get her down as quick as you can when the time comes. But now I said, don't you let her embarrass us over this thing. So she comes stumbling off down the off up and, and when the meeting got started I, I made some preliminary and we got rid of her right quick I let her get up there and, and I'd asked her one or two questions and I just set her down well she was happy she got to sit next to the governor and she got to, to make a little speech and I know that I called on Adlib I called on Dr. Perry Patterson who was in the uh, government the head of the government department university then and he made an Eisenhower speech and, from the floor and then I called on Walter Long I noticed him there and I knew they wouldn't be there if they weren't on our side and so Walter got up and made a fine speech, and we went on in that, at that meeting. Then the governor made his announcement. Uh, I think it was that meeting. Anyway, he reiterated it, if it wasn't at that meeting, that he was going to back Eisenhower. That's where he appeared with the Eisenhower people at that time. I remember that that summer there was a, an occasion when the Marine Corps 
had given a, uh, had founded the Austin Ch uh, Company, had uh, won some national honor. And uh, so they were going to have, the Marine Corps itself was going to have General Clements, who had been the hero of the Marine uh, uh, Battle of Bataan, and he had gotten away from the Japs in the Battle of Bataan, and, and uh, he had been out to Dago, and he was just about to be appointed Commandant of the Marine Corps when he had a heart attack. So he was going to retire and go back to Virginia where he lived, and they were going to have Judge General Clements come by Austin and present this uh, plaque or, or a flag or something to the Austin Marine uh, 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 Troop Company. And uh, one of the Daisy boys, the youngest Daisy boy, was the, in charge of it, and he was to receive this. And so uh, Buck Hood, on, on the paper at that time, was been in the Marine Corps and, and, of course, been in the publicity end of it. And uh, somebody in the Marine office uh, wired Buck or called Buck and told him that they'd like for him to set up some sort of an entertainment for, for General Clements while he was here, since he was one of the outstanding generals of uh, the war and, and also the, one of the highest men in the Marine Corps. And so Buck knew I'd been in the Marines, and he knew I had this beautiful home up on Red Blood Trail at that time, and I was in my heyday. And so Buck called me and wanted to know if I could help him. said he, he couldn't afford to entertain a man like that. It cost three, four, five hundred dollars and he thought maybe I could help him. Well, I said, I'd, nothing to suit me better. Of course, that was just a year or so after Emmett had gotten out of this fight in the Yalu River, and I would have given my right arm to the Marine because uh, I felt like I owed the world something. So uh, General Clements came down, and we arranged for uh, going to have a, a big uh, barbecue up at my home there. And we had a hundred or so guests, and it, it did cost four or five hundred dollars, but it was worth it. So uh, what we did, we called all the generals in this area out here. Of course, General Wakefield was there, Paul Wakefield, which was a very close personal friend. And, and uh, we had uh, a, a General Barry. I never were. He was adjutant general at that time. He came up, and, and General Clements, I got him a room at the Austin Hotel, a suite of rooms, and we paid for it. And, and uh, so we had this... Uh, going to have this banquet one evening, or this barbecue one evening on, on my lawn. And uh, the city of police uh, provided a military escort for the for the general's car, and he found out a little Emmett had just gotten back from this Yalu River fight, which uh, at that time was considered one of the, just like the Alamo of the Marine Corps. And he insisted on Emmett Jr. putting on his uniform and riding in the car with him in the, in the, uh, to, uh, through the traffic there. Although Emmett was just a sergeant, well, he, or a corporal, he, he insisted on him being that. That's where the Marines are. So Emmett got to ride with the general all the way from this hotel up to the uh, up to the house. And I know Bill Drake was mayor at that time. And when we got up here, because Bill was invited, and he found out he had gone to VMI like the general had, and they were brother rats together. And so we had a, a quite a little meeting up there at, at, on this party. And I want to tell one thing that happened between General Barry and General Clements. They, uh, General Clements had been at Baton, and of course Barry was an artillery officer at, at, uh, at um, Corregidor, and he got captured when MacArthur left by the Japs, and Barry had been in prison camp for four years. And they were discussing their experiences there, and of course everybody was just dying to get this historical note. And uh, when uh, uh, General Clements got through town, how he had got taken his Marines through the swamps and everything at Baton, and finally got out with dysentery and everything else, and nearly all died, but... Uh, when they got through, General Barry turned to him. He said, uh, General Clemens, he said, there's just one difference between you and me. He said, you got away, and I didn't. And that seemed to be a big, big difference. But the part I was going to tell now about politics, General Clemens was very much interested in Eisenhower being president. And he was a, a close friend of Constant Nast, N-A-S-T, a publisher from out in, out in California. And he said that uh, since uh, Nast had heard that he was coming to Austin, and he said, if you have any way of finding out what's going to happen in Texas, uh, let him know and he'll try to 
try to uh, uh, get a little publicity on it. So he wanted to know if I could help him. Well, I said, here's what we'll do while you're here. The governor would be glad to make you an honorary admiral of the Texas Navy or make you an honorary citizen or something. We do that to dignitaries. And so I made arrangements with Weldon Hart to have the governor fix up a plaque of some kind to, to give to General Clements while he was here. And we were going to go up and, and, uh, and talk to the governor. Of course, I told uh, Clements, uh, General Clements about what the governor was going to do. He was going to come out Friday now at the proper time, but he hadn't done so yet. And so... Uh, uh, we we went up to this uh, dedication or this uh, this presentation it was that the governor Shelby was going to give to uh, to General Clements. I think it'd make him an admiral of the navy or something of that kind. Uh, morning we went off up to have the governor make this presentation. Well, uh, we had to sit outside a minute. There was someone in this in the governor's office, and uh, when uh, the governor it was about five minutes, and the governor came out and shook hands. He used to be Speaker of the House of Representatives of Texas, and he lives out in Rock Springs, Texas, and he is the Republican chairman for the state of Texas. And he was then giving Governor Shivers a report on a matter, I'm sure. So you might tell Mr. Constance Nass that when you, got, when you were made an admiral of the Texas Navy, that you run into, uh, coming out of the governor's office, the man who's heading the Republican campaign for General Eisenhower in Texas. That ought to suggest something to you about how the governor's going to be in this campaign. When General Clements got back to home to Virginia, he wrote me one of the nicest letters that I've ever received. And uh, it makes you feel good to know that the, uh, the generals, at least, in the Marine Corps are fine men like him and mine, and most of them got their butt shot at one time or another.